Isn't it good to be together, to worship the Lord? It's great to see you. I'm going to invite you to be seated in here and to pull out your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And while we're getting settled in here, I'll I'll say a very special good morning and welcome to all of you tuning in online. We certainly miss you in here. And not to create FOMO, but you're really missing something special in here. It feels wonderful. So when you are ready, there's a space for you here. Um, Until that time, and uh, we recognize many of you still are not ready yet, not comfortable yet, it's our great joy to bring you these services live streamed and online. Um, but some of you, I think, have gotten used to worshiping in your pajamas, so there's really no reason you're not here. You should probably come down and, and visit us on a Sunday now, but it's good to be together, River West. You excited to get into the Word this morning? Good. Five of you. Okay, we'll, get, we'll, we'll bump that up as we move along here. Luke 18 is where we're going to go. Open your Bibles to Luke 18. And, and what I want to do this morning is while you're turning and getting settled to Luke 18, I want to share with you a sentence that I'd like you to think about a little bit here because it's going to really help you understand the passage we're going to study this morning. Think about this sen- sentence with me. In the Bible, blindness functions as a metaphor for a deeper kind of impaired vision. We're talking about the the inability to perceive at a spiritual level. The inability to see with the eyes of faith. So the Bible always sort of recognizes there's two levels of seeing. There's the seeing we do with our physical eyes, but there's another kind of seeing that happens internally. There's a spiritual seeing, an ability to perceive things at a spiritual level, an an ability to perceive the way that God is at work in our world. And what the Bible teaches is that both of those kinds of seeing can become impaired. Have you ever spent time with someone who seems to be seeing things at a deeper level than you are? This happens to me every time I look at art with my wife. My wife, an art major, an artist herself, and we'll stand in front of a, of a, of a painting or a masterpiece, and she'll look at it and she'll say, can you see what this painter has done with perspective and shading and light. And I'll say, totally, I see it, honey. I can see it. She's seeing something deeper. For our three-year anniversary, Kathy and I went to Paris. So many art museums on that vacation. Okay, so many art museums. And, and for a long time, I was doing well. I was doing well with, with, with the Renaissance art. I was doing well with romanticism. I was doing pretty well with Impressionism. I could get it. But it was when we got to Pablo Picasso, okay, and Cubism that I I started to not see it anymore. And I made the mistake. We were standing in front of a painting somewhere in Paris, and I made the mistake of saying, that looks like something, Kathy, that I could pull off in a Pictionary game. And my wife did not like that very much, all right? She was offended by that. But she was seeing something that I could not see. I felt like I was blind to it. And in the Bible, blindness works like that. It works like a metaphor to describe 
a deeper kind of impaired vision. And specifically in the Gospels, the Gospels always use blindness to describe the inability to see how God is at work in the world through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, why am I telling you this? Here's why I'm telling you this. We're about to open our Bibles and we're about to study the account of the healing of a blind man. And the mistake that we would make is to only see this at a physical level, to only see a physical miracle. But there's so much more going on here. If blindness is about something deeper than physical sight, then the healing of blindness is about something deeper as well. We look at it, Luke 18, starting in verse 31. And calling the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So let me just tell you what's happening. We're nearing the end of the journey to Jerusalem that went all the way back to Luke chapter 9. Remember, we've, we've, we were there a long time ago, but this, there was this moment where Luke's, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And all the way from 9 verse 51 till the, till the middle of 19, where we're going to be soon, the, the disciples are on this winding journey towards Jerusalem. And we're nearing the end of that journey. And now Jesus takes the 12 aside. And what's about to be said is only for the 12. And Jesus is going to say to them, everything that is about to happen to me is a part of a divine plan that must be accomplished. Because he says, everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Look at, what is it? Look at this. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they did not understand any of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. And he drew near to Jericho, and a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? <laughs> He's blind. Okay. What do you want me to do for you? Something happening here. He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Awesome passage. Now, I have so many questions about this passage, and my guess is you do too. In fact, here's what happened to me. This is often the way I write a sermon. I start at the beginning of the week, and I just soak in the text, and I read it over and over, and I have a notepad sitting next to me, and all I do is I just write down questions. By the way, that is a great way to read your Bible. Did you know that? 
Some of you started a Bible reading plan and you'll make it to about two weeks from now. You'll give up, you know, but no, I'm kidding. You won't go. But here's a great way to read your Bible. Have a notepad next to you. And as you read, just make, write down questions, write down questions. I have so many questions about this passage. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to share some of the questions that I wrote down this week and the answers to those questions. Here's a question. Why does Luke make so much of the disciples' inability to perceive? Did you notice that? Look at your own Bible at verse 34. Luke goes out of his way. Three times he says it in a different way. They did not get it. He says, they understood none of these things. And Luke could have stopped there and the reader would go, okay, they didn't understand it. But, but Luke says, no, 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 you didn't understand me. <laughs> this saying was hidden from them. That is a very interesting word in the Greek. It's the word kryptos. It's where we get our word cryptic, which means when something is concealed, it was hidden from them. We're gonna have to talk about that. So they didn't understand. It was hidden from them. And then Luke goes on, and he says, they did not grasp what was said. What is Luke doing here? Listen, Luke wants the reader to realize that the disciples need the healing touch of Jesus on their impaired vision just as much as a blind man. It's not an accident that we go right from that moment, verse 34, to a blind man on the side of the road. It's not an accident that Luke sets those two things next to each other. Because if we've learned anything from the Gospel of Luke, nothing happens by accident. He's doing this intentionally. And what I want you to see is there's actually 13 blind men in this story. In fact, the title of my sermon is The 13 Blind Men. Okay, there's 13 blind men in this story. In fact, in a great twist of irony, what we're about to see in just a moment is that the blind man in Jericho is actually able to see something about Jesus that even the disciples cannot. It takes a blind man to begin to perceive the true identity of Christ. But here's the question the reader should be asking. How could people in that close of proximity to Jesus still fail to see him clearly? How is that even possible? How could these 12 who had spent so much time with Jesus not perceive his true identity? And it, it serves almost like a, like a warning or like a challenge to, to the church, to you and I, to not assume just because I'm, I'm in close proximity to Jesus does not mean that I'm totally seeing him clearly. How clearly am I seeing the Jesus of Scripture? That's a question that is going to rattle around in your head this morning. So from a purely uh, human perspective, their, their perception problems boil down to one thing, one word. Write this word down, okay? It's the word expectations. Expectations. They had certain expectations about Messiah and Jesus kept talking about all of these annoying things that did not fit their expectations, right? And so it's not that they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus was speaking clearly. 
The words coming out of his mouth were easy to understand. The problem is they had an expectation in their mind and none of the things that Jesus was saying fit that expectation, so they couldn't get it. They heard all this talk about suffering and betrayal and death and they thought, what are you talking about? Expectations can prevent us from really seeing Christ, from really being impressed by Christ, from really knowing Christ. Billy Graham, uh, one of my favorite stories that Billy Graham ever told. I, I love Billy Graham. He was, um, he was very humble. He was very self-deprecating. He had a great sense of humor, all right? And Billy Graham tells this story one time. You know Billy Graham, the famous evangelist? If you're older, you know. If you're younger, maybe you don't. He was, think of one of the most famous evangelists. He was like a household name for many, many decades in our nation. And Billy Graham, he tells a story of one time he was in Philadelphia, he was speaking at a conference, and he was riding down the elevator to give this talk, and he's sort of standing at the back of the elevator, and a man got on the elevator, um, and they were on their way down, and, and this man turned to another man on the elevator, and he said, I heard that Billy Graham is staying in this hotel. Can you believe that? And the other guy said, you're right. In fact, Billy Graham is on this elevator with us. He's right over there. And the man turned, and, he, and Billy, Billy says, he looked at me for about 10 seconds. He looked me up and down, and here's what he said. Wow, that was an anticlimax. <laughs> right? But here's what's happening. The disciples are hearing Jesus talk, and it's becoming a very strong anticlimax. Why? Because they had expectations. They weren't expecting a crucifixion. They were expecting a coronation. They weren't expecting a crown of thorns. They were expecting a crown of gold. They weren't expecting a king who would be killed and betrayed by his own people. They were expecting a king who would kill their enemies. And their expectations blinded them. 13 blind men, 13. And you say, that's the disciples, but wait a minute. My expectations of Jesus could blind me from his true identity. And I could actually even use the Bible to create a Jesus that I want over the one that God has revealed through scripture, right? If I want a Jesus who never makes any demands on my life, never places any boundaries, I could easily go to scripture and cherry pick verses and put together a Jesus of my own choosing. If I want a Jesus who agrees with me politically, whatever side I'm on, I could easily go to the scriptures and pick and choose verses and create that Jesus. If I want a Jesus who never says anything hard about sin, I could create that Jesus. The disciples were reading the same Bible that Jesus was reading, but Jesus knew that the prophets had predicted everything that was going to happen to him, and for some reason, the disciples could not see it because it did not fit their expectations. Interesting. But it's not just their, their expectations that caused their failure to understand. There's some, Luke goes further. Look again at verse 34. He says that these things were hidden from them, which means... 
the disciples were being prevented from seeing. And what's fascinating, when you read the Bible, the Bible talks quite a bit about how sin and even the devil in our world prevents people from seeing the true identity of Jesus spiritually. Did you know that? Read Romans 1. It's all about how sin has warped our ability to perceive. There's a place in 2 Corinthians 4 where, where, where Paul says the God of this world, meaning the devil, has actually blinded the minds of people so they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ. Really? And you know what that means? It means that blindness in the Bible is a metaphor for a deeper inability to see. And the only way that it can be healed is through the miraculous touch of Christ. Let me just show you how the Gospel of Luke ends. We turn, leave, keep your finger in 18 and go to Luke 24. And let me show you a really fascinating ending to the Gospel. The, the disciples end up with 20-20 vision about the identity of Jesus. But what's amazing is it takes a miracle. It takes a miracle. So I'm at Luke 24, verses 44 to 46. And we'll be there in 2022. I promise you, we'll get here. Okay. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what we just read. Look at this. Then he, that is Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, I would give a million dollars to be there and see what that looked like. Do you know what that tells me? If without the healing touch of Jesus to open our minds. We cannot see him for who he truly is. This is powerful. This is profound. And now you understand why Luke makes so much about the disciples' failure to understand. Okay, so that's, that's a question. That's my, that's my first question. But now we get to the actual story of the blind man, okay? And here's a really interesting question, and I bet some of you noticed this. Why does the blind man address Jesus as son of David? Did you see that? It's so fascinating. And he actually says it twice. And here's what you may not know. He is the only person in the Gospel of Luke who figures this out about the identity of Jesus. He's the only one. And in a great twist of irony, he just happens to be blind. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So look, look now back at verses 36 and 37. Here's what happens. He's, so he's never met Jesus. As far as we know, Jesus had never been through Jericho. He's, he's blind. He's helpless. He's a beggar. He's by the side of the road. He's been abandoned by everyone who knows him. He's totally helpless. He's sitting there. And by pure happenstance, Jesus happens to come through his village. And he hears a commotion, and there's crowds, and he wa he's wondering what's happening. So what does he do? He cries out. Hey, he cries out to the crowds, what's happening? Who is this? And the crowds, look what they say to him. They say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So that, that would be like if someone said, Adam of Portland is passing by. It was just, it was purely informational. But where he was from, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then somehow... 
this blind man connects the dots. And when he begins to cry out for mercy, he does not say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Is that important? You better. Is there anything in Luke that's not important? Talk back to me, church. Is there anything that Luke does that's not never? Every single dot and tittle. I can't believe I just said that. Every single dot is, is intentional. This is a messianic title. And all of the people of Israel would have known immediately what it meant. Son of David. This means, wait a minute, this person is the promised one. All of the promises that God has made to his people for a king, the real king, the final king, God had said to David before he died, I promise you that after you, there will come one in your line who will finally be the true and everlasting king and his kingdom will never come to an end. And the people of Israel had been waiting, hoping for that promise to be fulfilled. That's why Luke's gospel begins with a genealogy that traces Jesus back through Mary to David. That's why when the, when the angel shows up to Mary in Luke 1, I'll just put this on the screen, and he tells Mary what's going to happen to her. He says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And no one figures this out until Luke 18. By the way, do you think it's a coincidence that in the very next chapter, Jesus will do the triumphal entry where he'll ascend the holy hill into Jerusalem? And right before that moment, a blind man finally figures out who this is in a great twist of irony where the 12 disciples have not even figured out his true identity, where the crowds are only following a Jesus of Nazareth. People with perfect physical eyesight are completely clueless about who this is and it takes a blind, helpless beggar on the side of the road who finally goes... I get it. The crowds have told me it's Jesus of Nazareth, but I know who this is. I'm not crying out for mercy. I'm not crying out for healing to merely a Jesus of Nazareth. I'm crying out to the son of David, God's promised one. His heart had seen the light before his eyes ever could. I love that. And you say, Pastor, why are you making such a big deal about that? Here's what I'm trying to drive home to you. The real miracle has already happened. <laughs> Think about this. It would not have mattered one bit if that man had not been healed physically of his blindness because he already had experienced the only miracle that matters, the ability to see the true identity of Jesus. I love that. You say to yourself, 
why am I a Christian? And you should ask that question every once in a while. Why am I a Christian? Now, just think about this for a minute. Why am I a Christian? If your answer ever begins with I, I'm a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home. I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I was reading my Bible and one day I figured it out. Okay, if your answer ever starts with I, you've missed the point. There's only one reason you are a Christian. It is because the God of the universe has healed your spiritual eyesight so that you could finally see the true identity of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. And your joy will increase the more you embrace that. But here's the thing. We still have a blind man on the side of the road, and he cannot see. So here's my last question, and I promise this will go fast. Here's my third question. Why does Jesus humiliate this man by making him beg for the obvious? This question in verse 41, when you look at your Bible, this question, what do you want me to do for you? It almost seems cruel. (laughs) If at the very least, it's odd. Isn't it obvious, Jesus? And we know, the reader knows, Jesus already knows what he wants. Jesus already knows what he needs. So why, Jesus, are you making this man put into words to say explicitly what he wants you to do for him? Why would Jesus do this? And the only way I can answer this question is I, now I want to take you back 2,000 years. I want to try to get you onto that dusty road because there's something happening here, and I think it's so profound. Okay, you're there. You're in the crowd. You're, you're, you're on the road with Jesus. And from what we can tell, there were hundreds of people. It was dusty. It was noisy. People were talking over one another. No one could hear anything. There's a massive crowd. Some people were probably there, and they didn't even know why. You know, they were just standing on the side of the road. They were having some baba ganoush and then a crowd went by and they just joined the crowd and they have no idea why they're there and they're walking along and suddenly this man cries out, who is this? And some of them in the front who have no idea who it is say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And this man starts crying out and suddenly there's a moment, Jesus is out front and it's dusty and noisy and people are moving and all of a sudden Jesus stops dead in his tracks. Boom, boom, boom. Everyone stops. And the dust settles. And it's silent. And here's my question. Why did Jesus stop in his tracks? Did he stop because someone was screaming? No. He stopped because he heard the words, son of David. And Jesus thought, Someone's finally figured it out. The rest of these people are following Jesus of Nazareth. They have no idea where we're going, and they have no idea what's about to happen to me. But somebody just figured it out. Astounding. It's a blind man. And I think what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's saying, I have an opportunity to take faith, true saving faith, and put it on display for the world to see. So he stops and he calls the man over. And he goes, you, have, you, you know who I am. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Because he knows the next request will take the reader to the heart of saving faith. Jesus, I believe that you have the power to heal my blindness. I believe. 
It was faith. The, the miracle had already happened in his heart. It was faith that allowed that blind man to perceive the true identity of Jesus. It was faith that gave him the courage to keep crying for mercy, even as the crowds told him to be quiet. It was faith that gave him a longing to be connected to Christ. It was faith that transformed him from a beggar into a follower who glorified God and followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. It was faith. And Jesus knew it. And Jesus wanted to put it on display. And I have a question for you on the first Sunday of 2021. I have a question for you. And the question is this. How clearly do you see Jesus? How clearly? Because I believe the very same Christ and Lord and Son of David and Messiah who stood over that blind man and said, what do you want me to do for you? That question is ringing out of his mouth right now in this moment. And it's coming to you. What do you want me to do for you? And the question I want you to ask yourself is this. How clearly do I see Jesus? Am I following a Jesus of my own invention? Or am I seeing clearly the Christ of Scripture? Wow. And we're about to sing and worship. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And in a moment, I'll come back and I'll lead us in communion. But, but as we worship now, will you just let Jesus ask you that question? What do you want me to do for you today? Maybe your answer will be, God, will you restore my sight? Will you restore my sight? I want to see you more clearly, King Jesus. I'm going to pray about that as the worship team comes. Will you bow your heads and we'll, and we'll sing in a bit here. Lord, how we thank you for the gospel of Luke, for the precision of our author, every word chosen carefully, every moment intentional. Lord, thank you for the miracle of restored sight, the kind that matters most, the kind that allows us to see Christ clearly. What a gift of grace. And so we say thank you, King Jesus. And we want to worship you this morning in these moments. Would you speak to us now, Lord? I, I pray you'd speak to everyone in this room. I, I pray you would speak clearly to everyone tuning in online as we hear these words from you, King Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Help us to answer that question wisely today, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. We stand and let's...